Well, today we're going to be looking at Colossians 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there, uh, and I'll call attention to it a little bit later. Uh, it is good to be back with you today. As you know, last Sunday I was in Ecuador. We were actually meeting at the very same time that uh, you are meeting here, or we meet on Sunday morning. A time change, you know, things were the same until daylight savings time shifted at one hour. Uh, but we had a great time together. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to speak in a couple high school classes at the Alliance Academy. I uh, spoke to some students that are in the Bible College Seminary track as well. Uh, but the primary purpose and reason for going is because of the pastoral training that I'm involved in. And I want to just show some pictures this morning and tell a little bit about that because so many of you ask questions about uh, the trip that I thought, well, this would be an easy way to do it and just be brief and show some pictures. Uh, you can see here we're meeting at one of the conference centers. Uh, that's Americo Saavedra who is there. He uh, works with a ministry called Apoyo that uh, brings this kind of training to pastors in Latin America, many of whom have never had the opportunity to go to Bible college or seminary. And then Americo translates for me when I teach. I was teaching on discipleship. You can go to the next picture. And the pastors are really eager to learn. It's just a joy to teach them as they are hungry to know God's Word. And uh, you can see here a group of four young men. These men actually came from a ministry called Casa Victoria. Now, you've heard the story about Dan and Alicia Gergita. Uh, Alicia, her father, was the president of Ecuador for about four years, 92 to 96. She has started a ministry in a poorer section of the city where she has young men that are living there now and they're in discipleship ministries and being trained and they do tutoring to young children they have an outreach in their neighborhood and it's been a wonderful ministry we actually helped the two guys on the left your left there uh, go to Pucallpa, Peru because they desire to be missionaries and so we joined with the ministry there of Apoyo that helps to train Latin American missionaries and they were just thrilled by that uh, you can go to the next one. You can see some of the people are more uh, native-speaking or indigenous. You, there's quite a variety of people involved in these training. You can do the next one. Um, the pastor on the left, he's a street preacher. He just goes out and gathers crowds on the streets in the city and preaches. The two on the right have a ministry uh, and a local church that, again, is connected to Casa Victoria. Uh, the pastor on the left, he's a men's ministry or discipleship pastor in a large church in Quito. A very sharp young man, he was there for the training. And then again, the man on the right uh, actually works with homeless and uh, drug addicts, alcoholics on the streets in Quito and ministering to them too. And then uh, at the end of the time that we had together, these guys were summarizing a lot of the things that we were learning and sharing their thoughts. The pastor on the right actually uh, teaches. He's a local pastor and teaches at a Bible college that's connected with Northwestern College here in Roseville. And he may actually be coming up in February, so you might have the opportunity to meet him if he is able to do that. And then the last picture just shows the whole group of both men and women that were there uh, for those three days of training. To give you an idea of how their world, though, is very different from ours, we uh, met on Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday. Many of these people are bivocational, uh, you know, working at another job besides ministry in the church. And so we met from 5 to 9 on Thursday. 
And uh, when we got to about 8.15 or so, a couple of the guys came up and they said, would it be okay if we left before 8.30? And we said, well, well, why is that? And they said, well, the taxi stopped running after 8.30, and it's more dangerous to take a bus than it is a taxi. And I was thinking how, you know, we never, never give a thought to something like that in our evening meetings. I mean, we have evening meetings all the time, and, you know, you don't worry about going home other than maybe in the winter if there's snow or ice on the roads. Uh, but they live in a very different world. The one couple, a pastor and his wife, had been robbed uh, at gunpoint twice this year and had their car stolen from them. And so it's a very different world, and yet these people uh, are doing a labor of love. They love their people, they love the Lord, and they are just so faithful. And I'm, I'm glad that we have the privilege and opportunity to help them and partner with them by encouraging them in their faith. Whenever I go, I am blessed and returned by it. And so I thank you for giving me the freedom and opportunity to do this as well. I'm going to share a couple other stories that will tie in with the message today toward the end, but uh, that gives you a little picture of what I was doing this last week. Well, today, as I mentioned, we're going to start a, a study in the book of Colossians, which talks about the supremacy of Christ. And I'd like to read verses 1 to 8 for us as we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it proclaims thank you for the work that you do in our lives and we hear it and understand it. And I pray that you would accomplish that today too, Father. Open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you want to say to us. Challenge and encourage us. Help us to live it out more carefully, more fully in our life. And we ask it all in his name. As I mentioned, the book of Colossians talks about the supremacy of Christ. And that's a very important thing for us to think about in our world as well. As uh, Pastor Jason talked about last week, when it comes to the matter of truth, you know, there are many challenges to that in our world. There are those who believe that Jesus was just a man, good moral teacher. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he is Lord. He is supreme. There are many people in our world today who would want to say that Jesus is just one of many ways to the Father. But that's not what the Bible says either. The Bible says he is the only way to the Father. And I love these books of Scripture that give us this big view of God, of who he is, of what he has done, and what he can do in our life, because we need that. 
We need that when we're encountering problems in our life or issues or doubts or things that we may be wrestling with. We need to come back to the truth of God's word and hear it and let it resonate in our heart and let it change the way that we live. That's what we want to do today and in this series. Now let me give you a little bit of background information on this book. The city of Colossa was located in Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was a small town in Paul's day. Its nearest neighbors were cities like Laodicea and Hierapolis. You've heard those in the book of Revelation or in other places mentioned in Scripture. It had once been a great city in the 4th and 5th century B.C. It was a thriving major city on one of the east-west highways. But roads had changed, and so as that road changed and traffic moved, it declined in importance. In fact, this is the smallest town to which Paul will write a letter, and yet it shows God's concern for them as well. Paul had never been to Colossae, as far as we know. The church was started by Epaphras, who is mentioned in verse 7. Most likely, it was a church that started out of the ministry in Ephesus. As Paul labored and taught in Ephesus and people began to take the gospel from that area out in these concentric circles farther and farther into the inland areas, the church grew. And that's what Paul affirms, that all over the world, all over the Mediterranean world, wherever this gospel has gone, it has been bearing fruit and increasing. And Paul is now in prison. He is in Rome, and the year is around A.D. 62. And Epaphras has come to Paul and he's telling them about a heretical teaching that is taking place at Colossae. That there are some men who have come and they have begun to teach other things that are not true about Jesus. And they're saying things like he's just one of many intermediaries toward God. That he's not really God divine or God in human flesh. And they are lowering this view of who Jesus is. And so Paul writes to correct this heretical teaching and to encourage the church and to lift up Jesus Christ, to encourage them to stand firm in the truth. And Paul wrote to them as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, along with Timothy, his brother in Christ. And I call attention to that note that when we say that Paul wrote as an apostle, That's very important for us to understand what that means. That changes the way we look at Paul's letter. I mean, Paul didn't write as just another man, and these are not just the opinions of men or thoughts that we can kind of take or leave as we like. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul was commissioned by God as an apostle. And so these aren't just Paul's words. These are God's words. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is such that he worked through human agents who wrote the Scripture so that what they wrote is exactly what God intended to communicate to us as well. His words are truth. And they have a bearing not only for the church in Colossae in the first century, but they also apply to Lakes Free Church today and to our world. And that's why we study books like this. Sometimes people have asked, too, for example, on contemporary issues, you know, well, why isn't the Evangelical Free Church struggling with some of the same issues that are 
uh, other denominations are wrestling with today? And I would say the answer is because we've settled the first question about the authority and inspiration of Scripture. You see, if we come to the Word of God and we take this just as the writings of men and we say that, well, you know, God spoke in the past one way then and uh, He's speaking differently now and He spoke to them and He speaks to us, you know, and what we think is what really is truth today, then everything's up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. But if we come to the Scripture as this is God's truth, it is authoritative, it is inspired by God, and it's the standard by which we are to live, then that settles so many other things. And we come to the, the Word of God to see what it has to say about marriage or lifestyle or the way that we treat one another in the body of Christ, about what is right and wrong in our world. That's why we come to this book. And Paul begins this letter to the Colossians then by affirming them. He thanks God for the health of the church and he thanks God for the advance of the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We want to give thanks to God for the health of the church and we see that in verses 3 to 5. What are the marks of a healthy church? Well, there are three things that Paul mentions in this letter that he mentions in many of his letters. And they are the qualities of faith and hope and love. When he looked at the Colossian church, he affirmed them for their faith in Christ Jesus. And we too are to be growing in our faith, in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Or you could use the word loyalty even. We are to be growing in our loyalty to Jesus Christ. That He is the Lord of our life and that we are living in obedience to Him. You see, faith isn't acquiring a lot of information. Faith isn't just knowing a bunch of verses or information about God and kind of having that tucked away in our mind. Faith is primarily a relationship with a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And we come to know God through Jesus, His Son. And we learn what God is like by reading the Scriptures and understanding who Jesus is and how He lived and what He accomplished on our behalf. And when we yield ourselves to Him and we trust Him to work in us, He changes us. Even as we heard in the faith story this morning, He opens our eyes to see our need for Him. And when we come and make Him Lord of our life, He changes the way that we live. Now, there was a study done by Willow Creek recently where they looked at people's relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they discovered was that how people describe their relationship with Jesus Christ is the most telling thing about them spiritually. And what they did was they could break it down into four areas, four kind of steps in discipleship that really fit with our uh, steps in discipleship that we have used in our pathway here. We talk about come and see being the, uh, the invitation to come and know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Come and follow me is where we are being established in our faith. Uh, come and be with me is where we are being equipped and understanding our gifts and our calling. And come and remain in me is that stage of maturity that God wants to bring us to where we are abiding with Him. Well, I want you to look at these four steps as they describe them here. Uh, they used the first phase and they called it exploring Christ. It's where someone says about themselves that I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Jesus Christ. 
My faith is not a significant part of my life. Frankly, that's where a lot of Americans are. A lot of Americans today would say, well, I believe in God. You know, you might have surveys, 80, 90% say, I believe in God. Not sure about Jesus. Not sure if he really is who he claims to be. My faith is not a significant part of my life. Uh, The second step in that maturity then is coming to know Christ and you're beginning to grow in Christ. And that person would say, I believe in Jesus and I'm working on what it means to know and to follow him. Just taking those first steps, but I know I've come into this new relationship with Jesus. A third step is where a person would describe their relationship as close to Christ. Jesus is an important part of my life and I depend on him daily for guidance and I seek to live for him. And the fourth step is that Christ-centered life that God wants to bring all of us to, where he is Lord. And where that person would say, my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. It guides everything that I do. Now take a look at those four steps. Where would you place yourself? Where would you place yourself on that continuum? Pastor Jason has put together a handout. We've talked about this, and it's a really good handout that, you know, wherever you are in that line of those four steps, there's a next step for you to take. If you are in that category of exploring Christ, and you're just not sure about Jesus, and you've never come into a personal relationship with Him, then the very best place for you to start would be in a class like Christianity Explored, where you could have your questions answered. Or come and talk with us on staff one-on-one and we'll talk with you and help to answer the questions that you may have. If you're just starting to grow in Christ and you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, then join one of our discipleship classes. Discipleship Explored is going on right now studying the book of Philippians. Or there are other small groups that can help you to grow deeper in Christ. If you're close to Christ and you have not yet gotten involved in a ministry, we want to help you to identify your gifts and use them in the body of Christ. And if you are living that Christ-centered life, that is exactly where God wants us to be. Using our gifts fully for Him, involved in ministry. And He wants you then to help mentor and disciple and encourage others in their faith. Where would you place yourself? What's the next step for you? I actually used this last week in one of the classes that I was speaking at in the high school. With uh, high school students, they were, it's a Christian school, and so they're taking a class on uh, disciplines in the spiritual life and spiritual formation. I talked about those that God had used in my life significantly to help me grow in my relationship with Him. And I brought out this kind of pathway, and I said, where would you place yourself? And they were quite honest, you know. And their students would say, well, you know, I'm probably two. Right there at two, needing to grow in my next step. A few would say, well, I think I'm at three, but I'm not sure. But they were just identifying themselves. And that's exactly what this study found. What people say about their relationship with Jesus Christ is the most telling thing about them spiritually. The church in Colossae was growing deeper in Christ. They had come to know him and their roots were going down deep. And Paul is going to write to encourage them to do that, even as he does for us. But secondly, they were also growing in love. I mean, here Paul says that we thank God for you when we pray for you. We've heard about your faith in Christ and we have heard about the love you have 
for all of the saints. They were growing in their commitment to one another. They're growing in what we call community in the body of Christ. And if we are growing in that area of our life, then there will be these close connections that are going to be made with one another in the body of Christ. Being a Christian has both this vertical dimension and this horizontal. It's not just me and God and I can kind of go and do this on my own. All of us need to be connected vitally to a body of believers who can encourage us in our faith. It's in this area too where we practice all of the one another passages of Scripture. To love one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another our burdens. We come alongside one another in times of great joy and we come alongside one another in times of grief and loss. I was thinking about our bulletin even today and what's going on in our church today and tomorrow. Today there's a baby shower, a time of great joy. And what a wonderful thing it is when in a church as a family, you know, we help new couples when they're getting married or when they're having that uh, baby in their home because it's expensive to start out as a couple or it's expensive to have kids. And so we help by providing some things that are just needed in that stage of life and we rejoice together. Tomorrow we'll be here for a funeral service for one of our members who has gone to be with Christ. And we are glad and rejoice that he is with the Lord. But we also come alongside the family to grieve and to comfort and to pray for and to be with those that we love. That's what it means to be growing in our commitment to one another in the body of Christ. We're there at the beginning of life and at the end and all those significant moments in between. We are here to encourage one another. And then thirdly, we are to be growing in hope. And their hope was in the promises of God's word. In fact, Paul says that their faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Perhaps that's where Epaphras started in his preaching of the gospel. Perhaps he talked about the promises of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Perhaps he talked about what is to come in this new life in which God will make all things new. They had come to believe in Jesus and the promises of his word. And out of that had come this deep faith and love for one another. Let me ask you, when you think about the promises of God and his word, do you look forward to the new heaven and new earth? to those promises that God has made of a world in which there'll be no more dying, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. Do those thoughts both comfort you and encourage you? And do you find yourselves living for that day when you will stand in God's presence and worship Him forever? They had come to know Christ as Lord. They were growing in their love for one another. They had hope, they had confidence in the promises of God and His Word. They were a healthy church, but they were under attack by false teachers who, among other things, believed that Jesus, again, was just one of many kind of intermediaries between God and man. 
They could not accept the real incarnation of Jesus Christ. They could not believe that God could become a man. And so these false teachers came with their kind of message to try and undermine what the Colossian Christians believed. And Paul wrote to affirm the absolute supremacy of Christ. He is Lord, and His Word is truth. You know, that's the world we live in. You know, we are a relatively healthy church. There's a lot of good things that God has been doing. And His hand is upon us in many different areas we see that. We see people coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord. We see people growing. We see marriages that are being strengthened. We see changes in individual lives. But we live in a world that has this competing message and all the time trying to undermine our faith or cause people to doubt or to live more by the world's standards than by God's standards. And we need to keep coming back to these truths that are so essential. Jesus is Lord. His word is truth. Paul gave thanks for the health of the church. But secondly, he reminds us that we are to give thanks for the advance of the gospel in verses 6 to 8. He tells us that this same gospel that was preached in Colossae is now being preached all over the world. He said all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Wherever the gospel is heard and obeyed, it bears fruit. They heard it. They understood its message. That is a work of God. That's a work of God that opens our eyes to see the truth of His Word. It's a work of God that changes our heart and that causes us to hunger for God's Word. There's a part that we must do to join with God in that work, but there's a part that only He can do. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draws Him. And when God draws us and He begins to work in our life, there is this hunger to know Him more and more. And what a joy it is to hear the stories of what God is doing around the world. And what a joy it is to be a part of it. And I'm so grateful for our church that we have these connections with other ministries. I'm grateful that we've been able to send out people from our church to do the pastoral training in different parts of the world. I want to hear the stories that Al has to share from his time in Africa. I want to hear the stories again of what God is doing in places in Asia where we have been working. And I want to share with you a couple stories today again of what God is doing with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Latin America. One of the pictures that I wanted to put up here too is a picture of a young couple, Manuel and Marcella. They are students at the seminary, Nazarene Seminary there where we were doing some of the teaching and they came to this conference on discipleship. I was talking with them and I found out that they come from a city called Cali, Colombia. And when I heard the name Cali, Colombia, I wanted to know their story. Cali, Colombia has been on my heart going all the way back to 96 when I was at a Pastors Promise Keepers conference. And at that conference in Atlanta, which was so, so powerful, they told the story of Cali, Colombia. They told the story of a pastor there who was one of the leaders in that city. 
and who was assassinated, who was gunned down by some thugs, who when he was pulling up to church and stepped out of his car one day to go toward the church, uh, two guys came out of a car that pulled up and put a gun to his head and killed him. Drug lords ruled that city. Drug cartels had control of every area of it, and Cali, Colombia was one of the most dangerous places in Colombia to live. And what happened as a result of these kind of assassinations of pastors in that city is that the people came together to pray. This pastor's wife stepped up and took leadership of the church, and she began to organize people and call them to gather in prayer. And the people came and they prayed out of desperation. They filled large stadiums like our Metrodome, 45,000 people coming together to fast and pray. And they would come and they would pray all night in prayer. They still do. Twice a year they have these prayer rallies where they come together and they pray for their city, their country, and our world. And God heard their prayer. The drug cartels began to war, in a sense, among each other. The government stepped up. The tone of the city began to change. People were converted to Christ, and there was a spiritual influence that began to saturate that whole city. And Cali, Colombia is a far different place today than what it was 13 years ago. God did a work in answer to their prayer. Today, there are several large churches of several thousand each in Cali. This young couple are part of one of those churches. He's a young preacher, and he has gone to seminary now to be trained in that, and they just have a love for the Lord that was so evident and a love that wants to share that gospel with those who have never heard. You know, when we were listening to that story, and it was just a joy to hear, and he shared some of the pictures of what's going on in Colombia, I just rejoiced at that at God's marvelous grace. And America, who was with me, America Savedra, was also sharing about how God had done a similar thing in Peru in the 1980s. In the 1980s, about 12,000 pastors were killed in Peru by the Shining Path guerrillas, a terrorist group that really wreaked havoc on that nation. It opposed the church and the message that was being preached. And as I said, many, many pastors lost their lives. The church came together to pray. They had nowhere else to go, and they came and they prayed. Again, they prayed out of desperation, crying out to God for Him to bring healing to their land. And God heard their prayer. Seven years of prayer it took. But when the Shining Path guerrillas were finally defeated... The president of the country took credit for it, but the people knew it was prayer. That God had done a work in their land. And today you will find Christian leaders from Peru all over Latin America. Those two countries, the church has been refined by fire and it is strong and it is vibrant and it is growing. And when I look at that, you know, I'm just so challenged by that. I mean, we don't pray like they pray. We have a hard time sometimes getting 10 people or 20 people out for a prayer meeting to pray. And I think that's because, you know, uh, we kind of feel like, well, life is good in America. And we may pray if someone is sick or someone's lost a job. 
But do we come together to pray fervently for the health of the church in America? To confess our sins as a nation? To pray for God to work in our land and in the leaders of our country? To pray for revival to come to our nation and to our world? We're not desperate like they are. We're not hungry like they are for God to do that kind of work in us. And we literally need to repent of our sin and call out for God's mercy on our land. And we need to see how desperately we need God, even in our own church. And so I ask you, would you join me in praying for the health of the church in America? Would you pray that our church would grow in these areas of faith in Christ, in our loyalty to Him, in our love for one another, and in our hope in the promises of God's Word? Would you examine your own heart to see if those qualities are true in you and to take the next steps where you need to grow? And would you join me in praying for the advance of the gospel literally all over the world? That what God is doing in places like China or Iran or Colombia or Peru, God would also do here in America and in us. Let's pray. Father, you know the state of our hearts and you know the state of our country. And we come this morning and we confess to you our sin that, Lord, there are times when we are just so apathetic or we've been comfortable or we've been spiritually lazy. Father, forgive us and renew our commitment to us and draw us close to yourself. Teach us how to pray with a fervency and a passion for you, for the things of God. And would you renew our hearts and revive us once again, Lord, that we might give honor and glory to your name. Show us what we need to do and lead us, we pray, that we might be a church that is fully devoted to you. We ask it in Jesus' name.